What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, will this mean fruitful labor for me? Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you through your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being, with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I have, and now hear that I still have. Cheers, Francis. That was really well read. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you to Morrow, to Andrew, uh, and to Amy and Stephen as well. Big thanks to you guys as well. It was really great singing, uh, and I say that just because that's been really good for my heart. So thank you for singing out. Uh, so I guess thank you to Amy as well for picking those songs. Uh, before we get into that big chunky passage, uh, we're going to ask God to help us. Uh, so let's pray. Let's go ask Him for His help. Father, we thank you for your word that it has so much to teach us, and we have so much to learn um, to, to help us live well from your word. Lord, if we come to, to your word tonight in our own strength to see what we can learn by ourselves, we'll learn nothing. So Lord, help us by your spirit, work in our hearts and lives, give us a bigger picture of who you are, who Jesus Christ is. Help us to see that you are a God worth everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, when Ruth and I were planning our wedding about four years ago, back when I could still see my abs, gone but not forgotten, uh, we discovered that one of the most glorious things about wedding planning, nay, life, is choosing what food you get to eat. It is unbelievable, Jeff. It's reason enough to get married on its own, I'm convinced of that. And it's what makes it really good when you get married about choosing what you're going to eat, what you're going to give to your guests, is this. You don't just choose what you're going to eat on paper right you actually get to eat it too you get to do like a test run type thing you get to eat it and then make your final decision it's absolutely class so in advance of our food testing uh, our caterers sent us out a list of everything that we could pick from right and they said pick four mains and pick two desserts so your mains are like your meats okay so we picked like a salmon for those weird vegetarian type people who still eat fish we picked Chicken skewers, we checked, or we picked, checked, we picked burgers, and of course we picked steak. And we picked out two excellent desserts as well. 
and you get to sit down, you get this whole meal laid out for you, and you just get to eat everything. But while I was stuffing my face, the thought that was going through my head was, "Oh, this chicken is good. This is this is maybe the nicest chicken I've ever tasted. These burgers are so good too. And this steak, well, steak is always good. But what am I going to eat on the day? How can I how can I pick between these? And the same for desserts. I mean, this brownie is world class." But this panna is absolutely banging as well. What am I going to choose to eat on the day? It's a, a, a very middle-class dilemma, I'll give you that. But it, it all resolved at the end of the meal, okay? the end of the meal, the chef came to chat with us. And I'll remember his words forever. You know those scenes in films uh, where they're like in an African-American church and everything the pastor says, the congregation are like, Amen, pastor. You know those scenes? It was like, it was like that, okay? Uh, he said this. Now, obviously, we'll do enough meat so that you and your guests can eat everything if you want a man. Then he goes, there'll be enough for seconds too, if you like. Hallelujah. And he goes, and we'll do both desserts for everybody as well. And at that point, my soul left me and went to glory where it still resides now. You know, a chicken by itself was good. And the burgers by themselves, good. And the steak, good. But all of them? better. One big portion of grub? Good. Two portions? Three portions? Better. Desserts? Very tasty desserts? Good. Two at a time? Better. So much better. And if you were to sum up what the Apostle Paul, the writer of the letter to Philippians, is saying in this passage, I think it's the big I think this is the, sort of the pinnacle of Philippians, the start of it anyway. What he's saying here, he's probably going to use those words. Good and better. Good and better. Paul, Paul is writing this letter in chains. He's imprisoned. If you were here last week, you would have heard Henry say that at the end of writing this letter, he probably was going to have two possibilities for him in his immediate future. Either he would be set free or he would be beheaded for talking about Jesus. He's either going to live, right? Or he's going to die. He says one is good. And he means that. But he says the other one is actually better. You know, if you look at the way Paul has written this whole thing, he's not really writing this the way I would write if I was uh, chained up with a possible death sentence threatening to separate my skull from my shoulders. The passage starts off, verse 18, I will rejoice. I mean, read that and think, what? I mean, seriously, like, what? I don't know if you've ever been grounded, or at least not, out to your, not allowed out to your mates or wherever your friends are going one evening. That happened to me many times. Let me tell you, not once in my room, or not once was I sitting in my room rejoicing. I wasn't shouting hallelujahs like Paul. I was maybe shouting, but not words I can say into this microphone. But Paul's in prison and he's rejoicing. He's actually rejoicing. I think we can read this, maybe just because the way sometimes we read the Bible and we read it like this in this voice. We can read this passage and we can uh, see this or, or hear this. I'm just going to move this out and go back. We can read this or we, we can hear this. It's like, you know, the way uh, the men, old, dark men in suits who come to church uh, who maybe haven't smiled, maybe ever, how they sing emotionlessly and expressionlessly through the kids' song. You know what that looks like? I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my... No, it, it, Paul's not writing like that at all, okay? 
Paul is rejoicing. He is joyfully rejoicing with joy, okay? If you read stories of Paul in Acts when he's in prisons, you'll read of him singing, singing happily. He's kind of like using his chains as tambourines. And verse, he's actually happy. He says, verse 20, essentially what this says is, whatever happens to me, whether I live or I die, I'm going to do everything with joy for Jesus. And because I've got Jesus, I've got nothing to fear. Whatever happens in all of this is for my good, Paul says. Then he comes out with this amazing statement that we're going to focus our attention on tonight. Verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. And that's good. To die is gain. Paul says, that's better. Let's think about those tonight. The good and the better and what they mean for us. To live is Christ the good. You ever, have you ever had a good holiday? Never been on a good holiday? Yeah? Like wherever that's to, whether it's Bangor or Bali, have you had a good time away? I'm, I'm sure you have. And if you're like me on the trip home, on the way home, whether you're sitting in the airport or you're in the back of the car on the drive home, you spend time and you reflect on everything that made your holiday what it was, don't you? You think about you know all the laughs that you had, all the fun that you had, and time with people that you love. You think about all those heated arguments over the actual rules of UNO versus your rules of UNO. You think about that ice cream that you had that you will dream about until the next time you go on holidays. You think about that fat man in Speedos who scared all the children out of the pool. Like You reflect on everything that made that holiday great. And I think that's what Paul is doing when he's sitting in chains here, when he's writing to the Philippians. He's reflecting. He's reflecting not just over the, over the life that he's lived, but he's also reflecting over what will life be if I continue to live? He thought about life and all that it entails. And for Paul, life was hard. He had persecution. He had mishaps. He lost friendships. He was rejected. He went through suffering. But his life was also really encouraging. I saw people come into faith. He got to watch the gospel spread and people grow. He met brothers and sisters all over the world. Paul, when he's writing this, he's saying, reflecting on life, it's good. Life is good. And life is good because of Jesus. It's not some airy, fairy, pie-in-the-sky, life-is-happy t-shirt that you wear, that sort of YOLO-type nonsense, make the most of life. It's something that actually makes a difference. Look at verse 22. He says that if he's to live, that means fruitful labor for him. Fruitful labor. In other words, if he's to live... He's not just going to sit back and daydream about all this stuff that makes life a pretty good thing sometimes. He's going to go and he's going to do something about it. He's going to go and live out this life that he's been given. When he says to live is Christ in verse 21, what he actually means is Jesus is the reason for everything he does. Jesus is worth living for. Jesus is everything. Jesus isn't the one who just gives Paul the life that he's living, but he's also the one who who gives Paul meaning and motivation for how he lives his life. For me to live as Christ means Jesus is worth living for. He's worth it. Jesus, who lived perfectly on our behalf, who died on our behalf cruelly to let us live 
and sharing his perfection with the Father completely to unite us to himself eternally, to give us life and life of all fullness of joy, this is someone worth living for. He gives extra, rich, deep meaning to all aspects of life. You see, if you're a believer here tonight, you see if you've accepted the good news of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, here's what you need to understand. If you're to, to, to live a life with meaning, like Paul, you understand that, that Jesus and Christianity and the gospel, they're not over here some sort of thing that you kind of know about and believe in. Maybe you do some stuff related to it, you know, at SU or church or RC or whatever it is. And then the rest of life, it's kind of over here, you know, school, family, your mates, your future, your career, your hobbies, food. And the two, you're sort of connected to both of them, but they don't really have much to say to one another. That's not the way it is. Jesus isn't in a different sphere to the rest of life. Jesus has everything to say about every single aspect of your life. Every single part. Take friendship, for example. Something we all have or want. Does Jesus have something to say about our friendship? About what sort of friends we want? What sort of friends we are? I think if you actually just look at this passage, you'll see that he absolutely does. When Paul is thinking about what it would mean for him to stay on earth if Jesus spares him another few years, he starts thinking about those who are closest to him, the most important people in his life. And for the Philippians, that includes them. They're actually so important to Paul that he's writing to them when he might die at any minute. And when he's thinking about them, with Jesus not being separate from the rest of life, but rather being fuel for this life that Paul lives, he's thinking, how can I build these guys up? How can I help them love Jesus more? How can I help them share in the joy that I know? You see that in verse 25. If he's to live, he says, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He wants to help these guys. What does friendship in this good life that Jesus gives us look like? Well, it looks like that. It looks like Jesus. Building one another up. Helping others to have joy. Making Jesus bigger in one another's hearts and lives. Being there for one another in good times and bad times. Talking about Jesus. Doing everything for Jesus. For the glory of Jesus. That's, that's the sort of friendship that makes a difference. It's the sort of friendship that lasts, that crosses continents and generations and social classes. If you have a friendship like that, it will last all the way through high school, senior high school, university, and life. Friendship that is good that you would want to have. It's not some sort of empty follow each other on Instagram type nonsense. To live is Christ. That's every part of life. To be a friend is for Christ. Does Jesus have anything to say to us about how we live our lives? He has everything to say. He's worth living for every part of us. He makes a difference in our friendships, in our schoolwork, how we talk to employees at McDonald's, what courses we apply for or what we don't, how we talk about others, how we live at home, what we do behind our closed bedroom door, where we'll go this summer. He has everything to say. And he's worth listening to because he's worth everything. 
And it's not just the good stuff, the positive stuff, the fun stuff in life as well. It's the tough stuff. Think about Paul and who he is writing to. If you look at the story of the Philippian church, Gilly looked at it a couple of weeks ago in Acts. We know that the Philippian church, they had a slave girl in it that Paul cast a demon out of, much to the rage of her owners. Paul's telling this girl who is a slave, slavery hanging over her, abusive owners. He's telling her Jesus is worth living for. Jesus has something to say even to her life, to her situation, to her worries. Jesus cares. He makes a difference. Maybe maybe you're suffering at the minute. I don't, I don't know what's going on in most of your lives. But if you've got loved ones who are sick, maybe school and life seems too much. Maybe you're just stressed to the max and I can relate with that. Jesus is worth living for. Jesus can use your mess and he can work in your sin. He's not midweek by your weak emotions. He cares and he loves and he makes a difference. He's worth living for at every moment. And he wants you to come to him with your burdens and your requests. And he promises you life to the full and rest. Jesus is worth living for. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says that this life is good. But he says there's something better. There's something much better for us. Maybe this is hard to wrap your heads around, especially for you to wrap your heads around. When you're when you're young, you're invincible. Life is going to last forever. And then you get to my age, and I like to think I'm young, but I'm 26. When you're 26, your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, and if you're lucky, you get five hours of unbroken sleep, or unbroken sleep, of broken sleep, very broken sleep. Uh, and you're thinking five hours, that's loads. Let me tell you, if you're 26 and on that sleep schedule, when you get out of bed in the morning, it feels like you're a corpse pretending to be yourself. You'd rather be dead. And then you get to John Finley's age and uh, there's not hair where hair should be anymore. Uh, and where there is hair, not all of it is the right color. Uh, and at that stage you realize, oh boy, I'm going to die. And when we think of death, even as Christians we think, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's too much, man. That's not nice. Don't want to think about death. No bueno. Got too much to live for, too much to do, too much to see. What if my dream wedding never happens? What if I never go to university? What if I never see New Zealand? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if? Paul says, verse 23. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Far better. Living for Jesus is good. It's worth it. It's so worth it. But going to be with Jesus, it's the best thing there is. Because Jesus is everything. So often I think we're so preoccupied with the world and our little stuff and everything we want to do and see and be. It's like we've got our heads in the stocks and we're stuck looking down and we just need to look up. We just need to realize how great Jesus is is we need to look at him and see everything that he has done everything that he is doing and everything that he will do and realize that when we die he's not going to take anything away from us apart from our sin that everything will be made greater 
and sweeter and perfect. It's far better. It's far better than anything we can imagine or get our tiny wee brains and imaginations around. One day we will be with the one who gave his life to give us life forever. Nothing will grow old. Nothing will get boring. Nothing will wither and die. We'll never be out of breath or energy or motivation or life or meaning. We will experience Jesus in a new, rich, full, everlasting way. And that's far better. Jesus is worth living for. He also tells us he's worth dying for. That should impact our living. Now, this is why since the church began, people who have lived fearlessly for Jesus have, have given up their lives for him. This is why Paul, the writer of this letter, was imprisoned, why he lived fearlessly for Jesus, why missionaries and ministers and most importantly, bog-standard everyday Christians have boldly told people about Jesus and live for Jesus even when it meant persecution, difficulty, or even often death. Jesus is worth living for. Jesus is worth dying for. The good and the better. Imagine we believed that. Like Imagine we actually believed that. But Jesus is worth living for and Jesus is worth dying for. You might say, Scott, I do believe that. Do you not? And if you do, good. It's probably good that you want a person speaking about Jesus to believe that too. And or if press, it's I do believe it. But I'm not asking, do we know this in our heads? But what if we believed it and lived it every day? If we allowed our lives to be transformed by this amazing truth that the gospel gives, that Jesus is worth living for and dying for. What's it look like uh, to believe this and live this, knowing what God has done for us? And knowing that all that is good, but also that it gets better. Verse 27 to 28 say this, Only that your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. It's a life worthy of the gospel. A life lived with reckless abandonment, with no thought for self-preservation or worldly reputation, but a life completely caught up with the glory of Jesus, living for him, making him known, regardless of the consequences of what people think about us or how they talk about us. You know, that's not to say we should be smug and the type of people who argue on social media never be that person. They're the worst. And it's not to say, you know, we should go looking for persecution. We should board the next plane to Iran or Syria and look at the find, you know, a nice mullen. And it's not to say, you know, just go out and be a weirdo either. That's not. But it means we should live fearlessly where God has placed us. Living worthily of Jesus talking about our faith sometimes we we say how about you know how we need to show people jesus rather than tell people jesus um, we show people jesus with our actions and i think that's true we do but so often i also think we use it as a cop-out don't we to not actually talk about jesus at all and if we're truthful often our actions actions don't show the real jesus they show a tesco value knockoff version Let's be fearless. 
Let's talk about what God has done in our lives. Let's engage that conflict, as Paul calls it, for God's glory. Let's talk about what Jesus has done for us. A life worthy of the gospel especially means loving our family and those close to us well. Telling our loved ones who don't yet know Jesus about Jesus. And from experience, I know that that is much easier to say than do. A life worthy of the gospel is a life where we don't waste our opportunities and our time and the things that come our way. It's embracing all that life throws us. Knowing that, you know, it's going to be hard, but Jesus makes it worth it. It's good. And when it all ends, it's better. A life worthy of the gospel, if you look at that, is a life lived for others. Look at those verses on the screen. One spirit, one mind, side by side. Paul's talking about unity with other believers, unity in the church. See, if you try and live for Jesus by yourself, you'll quickly forget that it's supposed to be good. You'll quickly forget that dying for him is worth it as well. You need other believers around you. You need to be in a church that talks about Jesus all the time to the point where it's annoying. You need to not be hearing that your best life is now, although it's good, but what to come is better. You need other people. And if you're living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, other people need you as well. They need you, your encouragement, your love, your service, your input. A life that understands that Jesus is worth living for and dying for is lived with others, regardless of disagreements or differences or what other people might think. Jesus is worth living for, and Jesus is worth dying for. What if we got that? What would happen to our schools if we got that? What would happen to CE if we got that? What would happen in our families if we got that? keep asking that because I know I don't get it all the time. Let me ask you some questions I need to be asked as I continue to grow in my awareness that Jesus is everything. How are you doing in fearlessly living for Jesus? At home, school, at work. How are you doing? And realizing that it's good and it's better to come. Are you currently trying to keep Jesus and the rest of your life separate? Are you letting Jesus into every part of your heart and life? Maybe a better way to ask that is, what parts of your life are you keeping separate from the worthiness of Christ? Maybe that example we used earlier, what sort of friend are you? Do you build people up? Do you tear people down? Or do you just keep things surface level? What, what does knowing that Jesus is worth everything say to our friendships? Who are the people you just need to tell about Jesus that you're scared to? Beautiful thing when we ask those questions and we realize our shortcoming is that we're not on our own when it comes to living for Jesus and dying for Jesus. We have each other. Most importantly, we have Jesus himself who gave up his life for us to show that he is worth living for and dying for because he is everything. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's choose to live fearlessly for him. 
knowing that life here that he gives us is good. And knowing that the life that he will give us is better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good life that you give us. We thank you for your grace and your generosity to us, for the opportunities that you give us, for the friendships that you give us. Lord, even for the difficulties that come our way where we can learn lessons and have opportunities to make you known. Would you help us to live fearlessly in this life? To think of you above all else. To think of others more than ourselves. But Father, we thank you that dying for you is worth it as well. We thank you that because of Jesus, there is better to come. Lord, it is so hard for us to wrap our heads around that. We are so caught up with earthly things that it's difficult for us to imagine what that could even be like. But Father, would you grow an awareness in our hearts and our lives that the best is yet to come. And because of that, would you help us to live well for you now? We pray this in Jesus' name.